Okay, so we are on lesson number 10, which is titled The Decline and Fall of Israel. The scriptures covered are voluminous. It's 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29, chapter 16, verse 29 to chapter 22, verse 53, 2 Kings chapters 1 through 17, and 2 Chronicles chapters 17 through 28. That is a little over 35 chapters, and the quarterly covers one chapter. So there'll be a lot of over, overviewing on this one. And then the, uh, so anyway, Lord, we do thank you for your, your word. We thank you for this incredible history of the kings of Israel and Judah. And um, we can see all of their wrong turns here. And uh, we know that this was given to us for our learning, that we might know how to follow you. So we pray that you would help us to learn and help us to um, submit to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first section is entitled, Ahab, Israel's Worst King. And that's uh, 1 Kings chapter 16 verses 29 through 34. Okay, now Ahab, no, First Kings 16, 29. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel the Bethelite built Jericho. He laid its foundations with the loss of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates with the loss of his youngest son, Segeb, according to the Lord, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. So, Ahab assumed power with three years left in the reign of Asa. I'm going to go back to our chart in the center, which helps us. So this lesson is covering from the reign of Ahab in the northern kingdom, which began in 874 BC, all the way through Hosea, which is 722 BC. So, a hundred and about 110 years? No, about 100 and, 150 years, actually, 150 years. And in Judah, uh, Jehoshaphat was reigning, and then it ended with Hezekiah reigning. 
Judah lasted longer than Israel. Israel was exiled in 722 by the Assyrians. Verse 30, Ahab did more evil than all before him. Now, if we look back at Omri, who is Ahab's father, it says of him that he did more evil than those who were before him. So this is a progressive increase in the sinfulness of the kings of the northern kingdom. And, uh, you know, most of this lesson is not about the kings, but it's about Elijah, which uh, with the rise of the kings, the Lord caused the office of the prophets to rise up. There's a book entitled Lex Rex. Have you heard of that? Lex Rex. Lex Rex. It's law, king. And it's in, I think that's Latin. But it was written by Samuel Rutherford in 1644. And the whole idea is that the law comes before the king. And the king should not be above the law. Okay, Lex Rex. And uh, so what happens with kings is they have political power. And they put themselves above the law. That's their tendency. Even though the kings of Israel were instructed to copy the law, read it every day, and obey it. So put themselves under it. Um, but they did not, and so the Lord raised up prophets, and this lesson covers two of the most amazing prophets of Israel, Elijah and then Elisha. Yeah. yeah. So, and what happened to Ahab is that he got married. And he got married to Jezebel, Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbaal, who was king of the Sidonians. And remember, under David, uh, Tyre's king, which is the same country, actually Phoenicia, was a friend. He was a friend of Israel, and he honored Israel. Ethbaal actually assassinated the last of his line and took over there and created a kingdom that was hostile to the Lord. And Eth Baal was also a priest of Baal. And so Ahab married Jezebel, and that introduced Baal and Asherah worship in the northern kingdom, in addition to the calf idols. And that is what made Ahab worse than any who came before him. Yeah, so, you know, already we've seen that two families have been totally wiped out of the northern kings. Jeroboam, who was assassinated with all of his family by Baasha, and then Baasha was assassinated with all his family See, now I'm, I can't remember who did that. Who, who, who got Baasha? 
Oh, it was Zimri. Zimri. Zimri got Baasha, and then Zimri died after reigning for one week. So, but Ahab will also have his entire family wiped out, and that will be by Jehu, who is moderately better. So, um, but look at verse 34. Verse 34 is interesting. It says, in his days, heal the Bethelite, built Jericho. Remember, Joshua marched around Jericho seven times and shattered, and the walls fell down. And Jer Jericho was <clears throat> given to the Lord as an offering for destruction. So anyway, this Bethelite built Jericho. He laid its foundations with the loss of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates with the loss of his youngest son, Segub according to the word of Joshua. So I just want to read that. Joshua verses, Joshua chapter 6 and verse 26. This is after the defeat of Jericho. Then Joshua made them take an oath at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation, and with the loss of his youngest son, he shall set up its gates. So that was a prophecy that came to pass because they ignored that curse, this heel, the Bethelite, ignored that curse and suffered the consequences of it. Okay, so now... We're going to talk about Elijah. Elijah announces a drought. 1 Kings 17, 1 through 6. You want me to read that one? I'll read that one. Okay. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook at Chirith, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. So there is a drought, and the drought was instigated by Elijah. The drought was instigated by the Elijah through prayer. And it, this text does not say that the Lord told him to do this. You know, the, this, if they had read Deuteronomy, they would know that this was going to happen. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, Now it shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Okay, that's the blessings that are written into it. Verse 15 of Deuteronomy 28, But it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, with which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. 
One of the curses is Deuteronomy 28, verse 23 and 24. The heaven which is over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust. From heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. So drought was written into the contract that God made with the nation of Israel at Sinai for disobedience. So that God is just doing, he was just following the contract. Oh, I have a little note here about the prophets. Yeah, the Lord raised up the office of prophet. Many of the prophets lost their lives because the kings had power. The prophets did not have political power, and so the kings would execute the prophets. You know, Isaiah, tradition tells us, was sawn in two. That was by Manasseh of Judah. Um, you know, Joash, who was a good king for a while, executed the son of his mentor, who was a prophet. So, we know, John the Baptist, a prophet, was executed by a king of Judah. So, yeah, um, being a prophet is a dangerous undertaking. So then, verse 1, Elijah told Ahab that he was praying it would not rain. And he says, the Lord says this, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. Surely there will be neither dew nor rain these years. So for years, there's going to be no rain, and it won't even be foggy. <laughs> there will be no dew either. Now, this is an encouragement to us. Not the drought part, but the prayer part. Because in James 5, verses 14 and 15, no, that's about sickness. It's James 5, verse 17. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So he's just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So Elijah, good morning, was able to control the weather through prayer. And you know what? We can do that. We can pray for certain types of weather and can influence God. God allows us to influence him through prayer. That's why praying is important. There is one caveat about it, however, and that's 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So when we pray for things like no rain, we need to know it's his will. Now, Elijah knew that because I'm sure he knew the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law said for disobedience, there would be drought. So he was, praying according to, he was praying according to God's will. So that's why we need to know the Bible, so we know what his will is, so that when we pray, 
our prayers are effective. So um, Elijah prayed that there would be drought. That meant that there was going to be famine. So Elijah was praying for famine. And then look what, ha what the Lord said to him. The word of the Lord came to him saying, Go away from here, turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You're going you're gonna to get your water from the brook, and ravens will bring you food twice a day. Um, does this stretch your reasoning? <laughs> exactly. The Bible is full of things like this. But yes, this is a supernatural thing, right? See, knowing that these things are true, it restores your wonder from childhood. You know, when you're a kid, you can, you believe all sorts of wonderful things, and you lose it as you grow up. But the, we know that the Bible is inerrant. We know that these are not stories or fairy tales like Jack and the Beanstalk. These are literal historical facts. And these things happen. And that I find extremely exciting. But, what, but the point is, Elijah is praying for drought, which leads to famine. Someone who is faithful to the Lord in the middle of famine does not need to worry about how he's going to eat. The Lord can do amazing things to supply you with your physical needs. Elijah, by the way, means Yahweh, my God. Yahweh is my God, which is good because that was Elijah's whole ministry was trying to convince Israel who is God. Is it the Lord or is it the Baals? Baal or the Asherahs? So, verses five and six, the Lord told Elijah to go to this place on the east of the Jordan River. He did. And the word of the Lord came to pass. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. That's an example to us. If we do according to the word of the Lord, directed to us, uh, we'll be blessed. We may get persecuted, because that's part of the word of the Lord. Yeah, no, and I agree with that. I agree with that, yeah. That is how we demonstrate our love for God. That's what he says. If you love me, you will obey my commands. That's right. Right. If you love me, you will obey my commands. And so, so Jesus said something similar to this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, even in famine, even in recession, even in depression? What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your fa Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, you know, we may be going into a recession, Possibly. So, but we don't need to worry. Because just like the Lord provided for Elijah, ravens, twice a day scheduled deliveries uh, from ravens twice a day, you know, 
he will care for us. Yeah, like the Israelites, when they left the Exodus, after all these miraculous things, they came out and they, you know, it was three hours and they were a little thirsty and they said, oh, you're going to let us die. He brought us out here to kill us. Yeah. Yeah. That is, what? Are you going to let us die? Yeah. Yeah, that is a question, but it's complaining. It is. I mean, so it can be both. This is what your question is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, a question that casts the Lord in a negative light is complaining. You know, if if you're genuinely curious, you know, for example, they went out there and they were thirsty. You say, Lord, um, can you supply us some water? You know, pray, pray, Lord, please show us water. And um, that would not have been complaining. But they said there's no water, and then they accused him of bringing them out there to kill them. So that's the difference. Yes, a question can very much be an accusation. Yeah, exactly. That's another one. Okay, so now we're going to get to a little another test of faith for Elijah here. The Lord cares for a widow. And it's going to be a Phoenician widow. So, um, somebody want to read that one? Chapter 17, 7 through 16. Thank you, sir. I'm sorry. So anyway, look at verse 7. So he went, the Lord said, go to this brook, I'll send you food by ravens. And that, and he did, and it went there, and then, verse 7, the brook dried up. Now, if you're Elijah, you've obeyed the Lord, you've gone there, it's going on, everything's going fine, just like he said, and then it dried up. What are you thinking? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is a faith stretcher, isn't it? We do know the end of the story, so we have an advantage. But if you're there and you're like, mm-hmm. now it doesn't say he said that at all. But because the next verse, it says the word of the Lord came. So he, you know, but it must have been slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. He's wondering, I'm sure he's wondering, hmm. This is this doesn't look good, you know, and it dried up. Yeah. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, "Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon." So this is outside of Israel. You know, it's in Phoenicia. It's between Tyre and Sidon on the Mediterranean coast. So he says, go there and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So, you know, if I'm Elijah, I'm thinking, this must be a widow that's well off. She's wealthy. She has a lot of stores. She has a lot of stuff. So she can take care of me. Right? That's what I would think. That's what you would think. That is what I would think. So she has a storehouse full. And, you know, so anyway, he, you know, just back to verses 6 and 7. So the meat was coming, the bread was coming, and then the water dried up. Then the word of the Lord came. That is what we live on. 
We need to remember that. We forget. I forget. Jesus said, verse 4, 4, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what we live on. And uh, <clears throat> that is where our food comes from, ultimately, and our water and our breath is from the word of the Lord. So then in verse 9, he sends her to this pagan widow in Phoenicia. And he, so he rose, he went to Zarephath, and he came to the gate of the city. There was a widow gathering sticks. And he called to her, and please get me a little water, that I might drink it. And so she, she says, okay. And she goes, and then he's calling out, and something to eat, please. <laughs> She's going, please bring me a piece of bread. Let me just throw that in. I hadn't finished my order yet. So, and then she tells him her estate, her situation. I don't have any bread. All I have is a handful of flour and a smidgen of oil. Yeah, and some sticks here. Yeah, I'm gathering a couple of sticks. So, again, what is Elijah thinking? Okay, this is not what, you know, This is I'm reading into the text here. This is terrible. But um, I could just imagine what I would think. I said, okay, I, okay. we go. I, the Lord has sent me to a lady who has nothing. Yes, it is. It is because Elijah gave her a test of faith, or the Lord did through him, because she said, I'm going to make this for myself and my son, and then we're going to die. That's what is going to happen. Then Elijah said to her, first he says, do not fear. Okay, which is what the Lord always says to us when he puts us in these faith testers. This is a faith, test of faith here for both of them. So do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake first and bring it out. And after that, you can make one for you and your son. So Elijah, the Lord is, must have been communicating with him somehow mentally. I, you know, I don't know, but... Can you imagine somebody... And feed me first, and then you can have something to eat. And she was probably... And then he gives the promise. The, thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor sh shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So, yeah, so this whole thing is a test of faith. The whole thing is a test of faith for everybody. Yeah, yeah. No, she was a pagan. Right. Yeah. And look what we or she's at least living in a pagan country. Um, yeah, we have uh, an advantage. So I just wanted to talk about some verses about fear. This is one in John six nineteen and 20. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. He said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. At the transfiguration, they were very afraid. Jesus came up to them and said, 
It is I, do not be afraid. Revelation 1.17, John fell down on his face in fear when he saw Christ glorified. Jesus came up to him and said, It is I, do not be afraid. Revelation 2.10, this is an interesting one. Revelation 2.10 said, Do not fear what you are, this is the church in Smyrna, the persecuted church. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. But don't be afraid. Be faithful until death, but do not be afraid. See, being afraid is a sin for a believer. Because these are not suggestions. These are commands to us. Do not be afraid. Trust me, it'll work out. So faith and fear are mutually exclusive emotions. And then Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be anxious. What is anxiety? That's kind of an undefined, kind of a floating fear, isn't it? You can't really put your finger on it but you feel just that something terrible is going to happen, you know, anxious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, don't, um, if you're feeling that way, then pray and the peace of God will come upon you. So we don't need to be afraid no matter what is happening. Um, and that is a learned process, you know. we don't. It doesn't come naturally to us. But then, uh, verse 14, For thus says the Lord God, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Then verse 15, So she went and did according to the word of Elisha, and she and he and her household ate for many days. So they would go to the to the bin and to the jar and they'd just reach in and it would be there. It would just appear, you know, like manna. Huh? Okay, so D, the Lord raises the widow's son. That's cool. So verse 17 through 24. Now it came about after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became sick. And his sickness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. He said to her, Give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. He called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray you, let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child returned to him, and he revived. Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are, you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. 
So they were living on a miracle when this happened. This is much like the brook drying up, only worse. This is what the Lord does to us all our life, isn't it? He puts us into situations where we can't handle it to test our faith, to strengthen our faith, to build our faith. That is his goal. His goal is to build our faith so that we are immovable, you know? So, um, page 86 had a question I thought was good. How does our view of God's character affect the way we respond to adversity? What do we know about God's character? We know he's holy. That creates problems for us. We know he is loving. That does not create problems for us, but well, sometimes it does, because he's also holy. <laughs> we know he is patient. We know that he created us. And he, we know that he sustains us. He is the sustainer. Now, if our view of God is that he is, you know, he created us and then he let us on our, go on our own, there's a lot of, Things that te Islam t teaches something like that. Islam has a has a distant, holy, so-called um, God who just demands. But the Bible teaches that God is intimately involved in the lives of everyone, uh, the believing and the unbelieving. That he does expect something from his creation. He expects their acknowledgement and he uh, desires their love, you know. But you see, the Exodus generation, when they first came out, they were, had been living in paganism for 400 years, 430 years. And so the Lord does not, when they first start whining, he doesn't immediately discipline them. He gives them what they need, you know. When they complain for water the first time, he doesn't discipline them. He gives them water. You know, when they complained for food the first time, he didn't discipline them. He gave them quail, and he gave them manna. It's not until he's taught them that he starts to discipline them, you know? So I think the more you know the Lord when adversity comes the better you respond in faith. And, you know, that is, that's what life is all about. Life is all about learning that process. It's about getting that faith muscle exercised until it's like one of Schwarzenegger's biceps at his prime. Faith can weaken and it can strengthen. And how we respond to these um, situations the Lord puts us into will respond like Elijah did here and the widow that faith muscle is strengthened the widow when her son died 
says, O man of God, have you come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance? She knows she's a sinner. He says he's a man of God. And so she feels like this is judgment on her sin, her son dying. Even after, you know, they've been sustained for many days now, miraculously. And um, she doesn't find she doesn't find fault with God. She feels like it's ju it's judgment on her for what she has done wrong. And then look in verse 24. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. And this is because of Elijah's answered prayer. Elijah prayed. See, I don't know if I would do that today. Pray for someone dead. I have never done that. To come back, <laughs> I have never done that, and I can't imagine doing that. I don't know, you know. Um, no, I, I, you know, I don't know about that. But anyway, Elijah did, and the Lord answered his prayer to bring back this child from the dead, and so that. Do you think that built her faith up? My goodness. Yes. <laughs> that built her faith. Yes, I think everybody's strength, faith is strengthened here. That's what Moses, it looked like to Moses, right, when he came. At first, the Pharaoh made things worse, and he was blamed. <laughs> he was blamed for it. And he asked God, Lord, what are you doing? You know, we the Lord does not think like us. We need to understand that. And reading the Bible helps us with that. It helps us think the way he does better. I, I don't know if we can ever think exactly the way he does. I don't think so. But Okay, so I'm going to do a little overview here over 35 chapters. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> yeah, so anyway... This is over 35 chapters. First, Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal and Asherah to a prophet's duel. He prepared an altar and the sacrifice with no fire for both of them. The Baalites did, did their thing all day long and nothing happened. The, Elijah prays and he doused his sacrifice with water so that it was drenched and covered in water. The Lord answered from fire. He burned up the offering. He burned up the wood. He burned up the altar itself. He burned up the water, and he left a smoking hole in the ground. Now, that one is my embellishment, but <laughs> the Lord answered definitively that he is God. And then Elijah executes all these prophets. Then Elijah prays for the drought to end, and the drought ends. And then, after all that, Jezebel threatens Elijah's life. And he gets scared, which is so weird after all of this, you know. So he got scared, and he went to Mount Sinai, and uh, he was given a task at Sinai to anoint Haziel, king of Syria, Jehu, 
king of Israel, and Elisha to replace him as prophet. And it was there that the Lord told him that there were still 7,000 believers in Israel, which is not very many out of a whole nation, but there's always a remnant. And then Elijah was raptured after that. He did anoint Elisha, but he didn't anoint the other two. Okay, then Ahab defeated the king of Aram and 32 kings. That was by God's grace. Ahab did not ask him to do this. He just, a prophet came up and said, we're going to do this so that you know that the Lord is God. And he did. Then Ahab died in battle by a random arrow that was not aimed at him, that just came out of the sky and flew between the, the joints in his armor and killed him. That means that when it's your time, the Lord is going to take you. You can't get out of it. <laughs> and uh, so then, and when he died, his blood was licked up by dogs, fulfilling two prophecies. One was that his blood would be licked up by dogs because he had killed, his wife had killed someone whose land he wanted, who wouldn't give it to him. Okay, then Esau's son, Jehoshaphat was a good king, but he allied himself with Ahab, and his son Jehoram married Ahab's daughter, whose name was Athaliah, and she nearly snuffed out the messianic line. And then these are Elisha's miracles. He divided the waters of the Jordan. He purified a contaminated stream, spring, excuse me. He cursed 42 youths who were torn up by two bears. When they insulted him, he filled dry irrigation dishes with clean water to drink. He multiplied oil to pay a prophet's widow's debt. He caused by prayer a barren Shunammite woman to conceive. The boy later died, and he raised him from the dead. So Elisha also raised someone from the dead. He purified a poisonous stew with meal. He multiplied 20 barley loaves for 100 men, just like Jesus in the 5,000. He healed Naaman's leprosy. He made Gehazi leprous due to greed. He made an iron axe head float in water. He blinded the entire Syrian army. He prophesied of plenty in uh, Samaria during a time of such severe famine that they were turning to cannibalism. So the Lord used him a lot. Huh? Yes, and when, after he died, his bones touched another dead man and brought him back to life. So then Jehu, King Jehu, we're getting there, <laughs> destroys Baal worship in Israel. So he executes all the Baal worshipers. He executes all the priests. He tears down all the Baal, you know, tokens and idols. But he does not get rid of the calf idols in Israel. And for this, the Lord says, hey, your line will remain on the throne for four generations. And that came to pass. And then... He annihilates Ahab's family. That was part of the deal. 
And that's the end. Amen.